You're listening to Booth One. It's Booth One on your podcast dial, and we are here in Chicago and have had a nasty January to mm-hmm. deal with. By now, you've all heard of the polar vortex that's so unkindly, I, that's a nice word, that is descended nice. from the Arctic to pull our daily temperatures, our high temperatures, into the minus 20s. Yes, that was the high. Well, today it's nearly 75 degrees warmer than that. <laughs> it is. is that crazy? Uh-huh. It's, it's like 44, 50. It's like right flying now. to yeah. Hawaii. It is. Well, that's <laughs> what it feels like. That is what it feels like, yeah. But, you know, who gives a rat's ass about climate change? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. How did you manage the uh, deep freeze, Frank? I drank wine and watched DVDs, so it was rather pleasant, actually. Our, as long as our heat didn't go out or we just couldn't go anywhere. DVDs. Well, it was, I was also net. Netflix, it was also stuff we had. Gary Zabinski, your host here for another week. Let me bring out our guest today, Frank, mm-hmm. because she's got a lot to say, and yeah. I've got a lot to ask her about, as, as do you. Elaine Soloway. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Uh, well, we're so pleased to have you. Elaine Soloway is a Chicago-based writer. I'm going to give the listeners a little bio, bit of a right. CV of you. <laughs> right. Chicago-based writer who shares her adventures of caregiving, widowhood, relocating, and moving forward in her books, blogs, articles, public appearances, and on her social media pages. Yes. You're a much. big social media Very much gal. so. Very much so. I have 4,000 friends on, on Facebook. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? Yes, yes. And you, you're not even a, a rock star. No, I'm, I'm, I'm famous adjacent is what I call myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. She is the author of two memoirs, Green Nails and Other Acts of Rebellion, Life After Loss, and The Division Street Princess, which Correct. I believe was your first one, right? That's right, 2006. Mm. Uh, and one novel, She's Not the Type, Correct. which I have here. I have a hard copy right here, Frank. Ooh. A Republic Relations Marketing and Social Media Consultant. She also writes a number of blogs, including Bad Grandma and other chapters in A Life Lived Out Loud. <laughs> True. Here's my first question yes. for you. What does it mean to live a life out loud? I, I know what it kind of means to me when I saw that as the title of your book. What does that mean to you? Why did you name it that? Well, I have actually two reasons why I live a life out loud. One, that I'm on social media, so everybody knows what's going on in my life. I've written books. And the other part is that my life is, is fictionalized on television. Mm-hmm. And so that's certainly as about as loud as you can get. <laughs> Elaine is a writing coach and a tech tutor. Correct. I'm going to get to that as well. She was a press aide to Chicago Mayor Jane Byrne. Remember right. Jane Byrne? I love Frank? Jane Byrne. <laughs> right. I loved her. We all did. Right. And communications director for school superintendent Ruth Love. Correct. More recently, she was a specialist at the Apple Store in Skokie, Illinois. Wow. So if you need some tech oh, help. I'm an Apple guy. This yeah. might be the lady to help you out, Frank. Yeah. Cool. And she taught Tech for Rookies at the city of Chicago's Renaissance Center, where the students are over the age of 55. Well, that that puts us right in the demographic there. It does. Love to go check it out. Soloway, and here's where the television connection comes in. Soloway has two daughters in the entertainment industry. Oh, you also have three grandchildren. Correct. Yeah. Faith Soloway of Boston is a musician and producer of rock operas. Ooh. What nice. are the names of a couple of the rock operas she's done? How about Jesus done? Has Two Mommies? <laughs> that rocks. <laughs> is, that, is that a 
full-length rock opera. Yes, it was wonderful. The one thing about both of my children is that they are audacious. It's mainly in their careers. There is every, anything they have written is beyond what normal mothers would enjoy seeing. <laughs> I, have meant sp- I have spent many a, 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 a night, I think it was with the Miss Vagina pageant, was the first one, the Miss Vagina pageant at, at Annoyance Theater, mm. where I slunk in my seat as videos of some of the contestants' better parts were on the screen. Was so, this one of your daughter's projects? Both of my daughters. Both of them. No, oh. my, my daughters work together. That's ah. the beauty yeah. part. Your, of other, your other daughter is Jill Soloway of Los Angeles, and she is the creator, writer, and director of Amazon Video's award-winning television show, Transparent. Correct. You're familiar with Transparent, I Frank? I have seen every episode. Have you really? Yeah, I have. I liked it. No, oh, it's I loved marvelous. It. Yeah. No, loved it. I loved it. Like, like those I, That's why I corrected loved myself, because right. I did right. change. Right. I really did right. love it. Right. And your, your other daughter, Faith, is also a member of the show's writing team. They, yes. They, they work together on right. this project. Yeah, and do you know that season five is a musical with all the music written by Faith Soloway? Oh, wow. This is the one upcoming season? The upcoming season is, is a... Two, a rock opera. <laughs> a, no, it's a two-hour two film on Amazon, oh. but all music, and they can all sing. Wow. They can all sing. Really? Yes. Yes. So okay. rather than a, a, a whole season, it's going to be a, a movie special. Uh, right, a two-hour movie nice, special. And that's, nice. that's season five. That right. will be season five. season five. When does that come out? Sometime in 2019. I'm not sure when. I know they're editing it now. This calendar year, This though. calendar yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, shot. Yeah. It's already shot. It's Just not al- Almost finished. Almost, almost finished, finished, but, right. not, but yeah. not edited yet. That's correct. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mentioned in your bio there that you've moved quite a lot in your life. 17 times. <laughs> 17. Right. Who's counting? Right. Well, I am actually because I wrote an essay called Nomad, so I had to count it. Oh, that's yeah, true. So what does it this say? I, I've moved quite a lot in my how, life how as well. Times, I, how many times? How many times? I lost count because oh. I've never written it down. I should I should keep a journal. Yeah. But now, when you say seventeen, are you including like when you went to college or no, just no, as no. an adult I, after marriage? Okay, to see that. That's different. Yeah. Times. And I didn't include because I recently moved within my building, so there would be a half. So okay, seventeen right, and right. a half. Times. Oh, you moved from one apartment in Correct. your building to another. Correct. What does this say about your restless spirit, or w- maybe it's wanderlust? Many people hate moving and change. Do you enjoy that? Is that something that you Saver, and you're clearly not afraid of change. No, not at all. You know, people ask me that all the time. First of all, one thing is, I love checklists. You know, I love having a list on the board saying, call the mover, pack this. So that brings me great joy, having a checklist. Also, I like, I like discovering new neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine spending your whole life, and people do, in the same neighborhood with the same drugstore and the same dry cleaner? And the, it, it, to me, that just sounds awfully boring. And so I last about a year in a place. Some places I've lasted much longer than that. My most usual time limit is one year's least, and there have been times when I haven't even finished a year's least. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to say I made a mistake when I moved, because some of those are mistakes. Mm. I moved to Geneva, Illinois. Don't ask me why. Actually, Geneva's a nice town, but it's doesn't have the town. kind of stuff you probably yeah, it's want. it's not talk, Chicago. Talk yeah. about fish out of water. Yeah, I was yeah. one of five Jews in the place. <laughs> you know, one Democrat... But I, I, actually, I actually wrote an essay about it. You know, there's one thing about my life, about living out loud. I've written about everything. Mm. So I had just gotten married to my second husband, 
And I came up with this idea that I wanted to, to have trees before I died, because I lived in the city my whole life. And so we moved to Geneva, Illinois, because it was a train ride away, a beautiful house on one acre. And, and you, you know, Geneva's a lovely town. And about nine months in, you know, I was seeing a therapist, and I, I said, you know, this, this is not working for me. And she said, well, why don't you get, like, a, take your, your computer and go downtown to the library, and you'll get part of the city that way. So I would do that. And then I would say, why the fuck am I in? <laughs> why am I doing when I can live in Chicago? Sure. Why so watch it on the computer? Yeah. So you, we moved. You've lived a number of places, but you seem to always come back to your Chicago Absolutely. roots. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, Absolutely. I would call you a lifelong Chicagoan. Yeah, I would too. I would too. And you currently time. live in the River North neighborhood. Yeah. In a, in a one-year lease apartment. Yes. Okay. Right. Because you how, never know. How, how much in are you on but this I one? Wrote, I actually wrote an essay about that that I really want. It's called Feet First. Okay. Because uh, my second husband, we lived in a house in, in, on Dakin Street on the northwest side, Independence Park, which actually we loved. And we lived there all 12 years until mm. he passed away. And he loved it so that he said the only way that he would leave would be feet first. And unfortunately, that is how uh-huh. he did. So I wrote an essay called Feet First because I really, really want to stay where I am now. And I really love the apartment well, I'm that's in. Good. I really love it. And I'm a, I, I belong to the East Bank Club, which is mm. right across the street. So the location's pretty good. The location is amazing. Yeah. And I have friends that I have breakfast with every morning. Mm. I wrote an essay called The Cool Kids Table um, <laughs> about that. And uh, it's really provided me just a, the transportation is great. Mm. And, and so, I swim there. You have noticed that I... I well, I was going to ask guns. about yeah. this. Can you tell the folks how old you are now, Elaine? I'm 80. Oh my goodness! Oh, that's that's what you have to do. You Congratulations! Have to, you have to have that reaction. I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. say you say Except you're that 80 was real. And, yeah. and somebody said, "Well, that's nice," you know. No, you have to have that fucking. You yes, know, exactly. Reaction. But that was honest. <laughs> that was an honest. Frank, reaction. do you have any tattoos? I don't have any tattoos. No. Okay. Elaine, I noticed in one of your publicity shots that appears on one of your books mm-hmm. that you had a nice big bold tattoo on your left arm. Now I see you're oh, wearing right your sleeveless today. I do that because it's purpose. in the 50s here yeah. in Chicago. You have tattoos on both, both arms. I tell, do. tell me about those and when did you get them? They look fairly new and why? Okay, good question. Thank and you. And actually that's one reason to have tattoos is that it sparks conversation. They are conversation <laughs> starters. Right. That's if true. If I'm on a plane, you know, I have yeah. wonderful conversations about yeah. it. Yeah, talk right. to me about the one on your right The first. one on the right uh, is a HuffPost article called Why I Got a Tattoo Rather Than a Facelift for My 80th Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a newer one. Yes. This was, I was just 80 August, August of last year. Oh, okay. Right, so it's very recent. And if you notice, it's a seahorse. Oh, it is, yes. yeah. It is a seahorse right. with bubbles, and it's... It's a happy seahorse. It, it looks like a female seahorse because right. it's got big, long eyelashes. Yeah. What prompted you to get, well, what prompted you to get this tattoo, and what prompted you to get it as a seahorse? Well, I made a vow to myself that I've ever learned how to swim... I would get a seahorse as a tattoo. Mm. And when I was 79 years old, after a lifetime of trying how to swim, I learned to swim. Now, but the funniest thing is that after I got my tattoo, I couldn't go in the water for fun. (laughs) Ironically, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had to stay out of the water for two weeks, so but that was my sacrifice. So that's that was your reward that for learning reward. to swim, yes. and you got this last year, right? What yes. about the one on your left arm? This one I got when I was sixty years old, and uh, those are my two daughters' names on it. Oh, Jill and Faith, Faith right? And it's a it's a heart. Let me, right. let me it's heart, heart and music. The way I feel about my lovely. daughters, lovely, right? Well, I've always admired tattoos on people. I just, I, I really think the body art is beautiful. I love the audacity of people who wear tattoos. So when I got this one, I just really loved it. And this one I love. And I'm, Balances I, you out. It does. But mm-hmm. It does. But I'm, I'm really crazy about them. I, I'm just so happy to have them. Well, they, they look great on you, and they look they great do. on your, your guns there. Aren't too bad for they an 80-year-old. They aren't young. too bad for anybody. <laughs> not not too bad at all. Right, you right. mentioned uh, a show that your daughters created at one point, and they were here in Chicago for quite a long time. Yes, they started at the Annoyance Theater. Right. Mm. They also created the Real Life Brady Bunch here right. in Chicago. Right. Do you remember that show, I Frank? I do. That yeah. was a big hit. It, it was. It's Huge. been revived People a number were, of times. Were Lined up around the, the block, yeah, yeah to yeah. see that. They'd go late night or... Mm-hmm. Whenever was that at annoyance as well? Yeah, it was at, at annoyance. And of course, when my daughters first told me that they were doing a live version of the Brady Bunch, Jewish mother said, "Oh, don't do that. We'll get in trouble." <laughs> oh. So now, whenever my daughters ask me a question, they ask mother first, and if mother says, oh, "I don't think you should do that." I say, "Okay, we're on. We're on. <laughs> it's a go. <laughs> it's a go. It's a go." <laughs> I saw yeah. the Brady Bunch. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it, yeah. it was mm-hmm. absolutely it hilarious. It is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then you know, the whole uh, most of the actors went on to L.A. They traveled around the country with the show. They had a big Broadway producer, and many of them wound up in L.A. Jane Lynch. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. was in, uh-huh. yeah, and Andy Richter. Was, Andy Richter was yeah, in that. Ah, oh, yeah, right. yeah. No, it was hysterical to see big people playing, <laughs> playing these parts and the actual scripts. So that was the fun yes. part. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then evidently there's thousands, millions of Brady Bunch fans of that age. There is. One of the places that you lived was a planned integrated community mm-hmm. on the near south side. I, I, well, I'm not 28th know and Michigan. 28th and Michigan, mm-hmm. so not quite Hyde Park, somewhere in between Chicago and Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you lived there with your children and your husband? It was, so this was 1970. I'm glad you talked about South Commons because it was probably the most influential place that I lived of all, all of the 17 places. Before that, we lived in the suburbs. We, my my uh, first spouse was a physician. So as all good Jewish people, who we, he did his, uh, his residency at uh, Michael Reese, you moved to the suburbs, right? But we, we lived in Prairie Shores for, first. So mm. if you know Prairie Shores, it's right there too. Yeah, and on I, the south yeah, side, yeah. Near south side. And I just loved the environment, the diversity of it being near the city. So we moved to Glenview, Illinois, and there was another fish out of water experience for me. I really hated it. I felt, didn't want to talk about what I was making for dinner or when I, how I was <laughs> redecorating my kitchen. And, and I think the experience of being in Prairie Shores and living in the city just never left me. So um, my spouse changed um, professions from anesthesiology to psychiatry. So we had to move back to the city for her. My, my spouse is, is now identified as a female, so I tried to get the genders correct. This is part of your life that's reflected a little bit in Transparent. I wouldn't call it a biography of your life, but certainly there are aspects of your life 
in that show than Jill and Faith, right? right? And and this is one of them, the Jeffrey Tambor character. Correct. So we uh, saw this advertisement for a suburb in the city and uh, with all different housing styles and affordable townhouses with the images of trying to integrate it. And it turned out it was was, uh, designed by... Um, University of Chicago sociologist Morris Janowitz and others. The location was perfect for what my spouse is planning to do. And there was a school right in the middle of the center, so where our kids can go to school. But so all so, the kids in the community right. would go to that school. Exactly, exactly. Plus children from a nearby, a nearby public housing development. And that was also part of the intention of the community, to integrate people by races incomes, housing styles, and ages, because there was a senior citizen building there. Had they found an area that was not built up at all, so they could build these different houses? Well, it was probably urban renewal oh, okay. at the time. So I would tore, have to yeah. say that it was 30 acres at 28th and Michigan. So I had moved, we moved from some of the suburbs there, and I was a very unhappy housewife. Just, just really felt that something's wrong with me not liking anything that has to do with domesticity, (laughs) as you can see from what you read about me. Day one, we move in, and we unpack, and I go to this community center where there's, in every room, there's another activity going on. And as I've often said, I felt like Dorothy going into Oz, like suddenly Mm. was Technicolor. And within weeks, I became producer of the musical theater, editor of Commons Commentary newspaper, head of the Civic... I mean, I just went nuts. I literally <laughs> went nuts. You threw yourself way into this changed. lifestyle, I, yes? I changed. Mm. I just changed. Well, you were so starved for that kind of stuff. I, that, I guess yeah. I was. I didn't really know I was starved. You know, mm. when you're in a situation like this, you think you're the odd person. Uh-huh. You just knew you were unhappy. I was just unhappy. But mm-hmm. when I got there, and, and this brought all this out of me, it completely changed... And I also believe that it made my daughters who they are mm. because they grew up in this very diverse... And they were how old about when they went They there? started out as kindergartners, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So they were there. And you yeah. said you lived there how long? At least 10 years. 10 years, okay. 10 years. So, so formative it was years, major. Very yeah. formative. It was, the most, it was probably the most impactful community that all of us had lived in. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this tech tutor business that you're known for. You worked at an Apple store in Skokie, Illinois, which is... Just adjacent to Evanston, right. where our palatial studios are. <laughs> are. Are you a tech expert? Are you self-taught? Did you go to school or take classes in this kind of thing? Not at all. No, none of the really? above. None, none of, the, of above. the above. None of the above. Well, Apple is kind of self-teaching. One of the things I've always gravitated towards it is if you're on Apple and you're doing something, it'll come back, at least in the early days, and say, no, that's not how you do You do this. You're like, oh, sorry. I mean, you can learn on Apple, which is probably what you did. No, uh, not not at all. Okay. No, Frank. <laughs> good guess. Sorry, that's how I. That's Sorry. how I got to be Apple. There'll be some lovely parting gifts right. for you. Okay. <laughs> I got into computers very early because I worked for a public relations firm, and they had computers. And also, I had I had a Capro computer, which was one of the very first that came out. And it's very unusual for me to like computers because I I write, and when I journal, I write in a notebook with a spiral. Uh, and and a, a pen. So why would somebody like me like technology? I think it's because it's so efficient. And I'm also I'm very obsessive compulsive, and I I just love being efficient. And computers and technology make you very efficient. 
so I learned how to how to do computers, and then people were telling me that I should be on on a Mac because. But I thought that Mac was only for artists and and designers, so I, I avoided a Mac for a long time. And then I finally did get. Uh, I think a, a computer was probably the first one. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I just fell in love with the mouse and the ability to... It, it, to me, it just made so much sense. I loved it. And then I got different devices. You notice that I have an Apple Watch now. You do. Yeah, you're all connected. I'm all connected. I have them all. So I applied to have a job there. And surprisingly, they hired me, but just on the floor as a... Not, not a specialist. And I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. I didn't stay there long because my second husband was ill at the time, and I, I had to be home, but I loved it. And I, then I, did, I do teach people uh, how to use it. It's gotten a little even more sophisticated now. And there's certain things that are kind of terrifying when you teach people that, like where did all my photographs go, you know, or something like that. So I, I, I stay away from it now. But. So you were kind of self-taught. Yeah, on the, you're on right. The, yeah. It turned out to be right. Yes. It turned out to be right. No, <laughs> because that, that was my experience, right, too. That you can. And now when anybody you know, asks me how to do something, I, I say, Google or Siri, how do you, Correct. How do you copy and paste? How do you, how uh-huh. do you take a screenshot? You all, that's, you're absolutely right. Uh-huh. You know? And also with Apple, you can call tech support. And they'll they'll answer the phone or do a genius appointment. They do those too. You can actually take your machine in and go like, "How come I can't do this?" Exactly. Right. You mentioned that you are not very much into the housekeeping domesticity world. Are you much of a cook? Do you like to cook? Or you? I just wrote an essay. Let's see. It was about ten days ago. I wrote an essay on how Roxanne Gay lured me back to cooking. And it explains why I went back to cooking. I bought a cookbook. I got all my pots and pans on. Lasted about a week. <laughs> do you know how messy it is cooking for yourself? I do. I when do. You Period, go, yeah. When you can go down to the hot bar at Whole Foods <laughs> or the little, little store at East Bank and get all your food. I mean, my kitchen was a mess. And first of all, I'm a horrible cook. I have to say the stuff I made was just awful. And then <laughs> not only that, I had I love macaroni and cheese and I made this giant tray of macaroni. You know how long it can take you to yeah. eat macaroni and yeah. cheese. Yep. Right. So Well, here's good news for you. And I'm glad you yeah. brought that up, Frank. You may enjoy this as well cuz I know that you're a Costco customer. I do. I was there yesterday. Well, news that Costco, the bulk food wholesaler, is selling a 27-pound storage bucket of macaroni and cheese oh God. <laughs> with a shelf me. life of 20 years, oh, Frank. Oh, well, 20 that would years. work then, yeah. The bucket retails for eighty nine ninety nine. dollars so you, you can store get it? A, Where do you store it? Well, you'd probably have to get a, another <laughs> apartment. Is, is it, like, already You'd have cooked? to move, Elaine. <laughs> oh, is it yeah, already cooked, or is it the dry <laughs> that you scoop it out and make a batch? Of I, I think it's already cooked. Already that last 20 years? Well, you know, they store Velveeta and <laughs> cheese products in these giant warehouses yeah, for I, by the 19th possible year, it could be pretty national nasty. emergencies. It will live longer than I, is that what you're yeah, The bucket retails for eighty nine ninety nine, which works out to a cost-efficient 50 cents per serving, Frank. Wow. How can you beat that? How can you beat that? Yeah, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't make right. macaroni and cheese at home, as you know, Elaine. 
yeah, for less for money than person, that. Right. One would have to put that in their will. Right. To you, right. I leave my, right. my 10 years' worth of macaroni and cheese leftovers. But everybody's going to be so disappointed in me because they were so excited that I was cooking ah. and saying, don't you love cooking? And I had to say, Bleh. It's that domestic thing. No. You never really <laughs> got into it. I don't, and I don't understand why I have to go buy all these spices when, you know, I had to I had to buy all these individual spices. You do, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had to buy milk and eggs. Oh. And you use <laughs> oh, one egg God in forbid. a recipe. And now what am I going to do with, with breadcrumbs and flour? I had to buy, I had to buy a five-pound bag of flour to dip. Something they don't yeah. sell it any the less egg. than five what? pounds. No, That's true. Tell the listeners a little bit about where you grew up as a child, Elaine. Because well, fortunately, there this, is a book about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called The Division Street Princess, right? You can get it, or at, The Princess of Division Street. No. I mean, I know people do people that. People say that people a lot, say that, but it is the Division Street Princess. Division Street right. refers to the street in the Chicago, street, right? Uh, made that, famous by uh, Studs Terkel and Division correct. Street America. I think it's, it's on the back of my book, in fact. I think <laughs> so. It's sort of an imaginary separate. Line between there was, yeah. kind of the near north side and then yeah. farther north than that. But you grew up on Division Street, Correct. on West Division Street, right. yes? 2505 West Division Street. Look how I remember that address. Right? 2505. <laughs> right, right. Is I the house still there? It's house. Where did you grow up? House on Division Street? It was an apartment <laughs> building. Oh. And we had a grocery store on the, on the main floor, and we lived three rooms above the store. A grocery store? Did you work? Mom and Pop. I did, did, did you work, work in the store? You haven't read my memoir, have you? Well, whether I've read it or not, <laughs> I'd rather hear it from your lips than mine. <laughs> no, I worked in the grocery store. I had a little. In fact, my I can see. It is interesting how I can still see it, and mm. I can still see that that my little department was the sundries department. Oh, how did that word come back? Wow. Yeah, that's what they called that area. Yeah, sundries, yeah. right. So it was in the front of the store, and I guess I sold, like, toothpaste, and, and my father made me a little register of like a, out of a cigar box where I had my money. Yes, it was lovely. It was, yeah. Was so, it your mom and pop that owned it? My mom and pop ah. owned it. And uh, so most of our life actually was spent downstairs in the Aha. store. And then we had the three rooms above. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite an experience. But then my parents had to um, auction off the store at the end because supermarkets came in right mm. across sure. the street. My father was a lousy businessman. And what moved in there, a Jewel or an A&P or something? A&P. A&P, A&P right. Mm. A&P, right, yeah. Like literally across the street. Literally <laughs> across the street, right. And do you remember, you, didn't, you missed this, but my mother used to add things up on a paper bag. Did you mm. remember... You guys I are all too young I, for this. Not at all. I can no. remember people. I can remember, remember that. Bags, but sure. But do you remember them writing everything on the paper mm-hmm. bag mm-hmm. and then adding them up? Mm-hmm. Yes. I grew up in Mount Greenwood, which is on the southwest side. There were homes there. They weren't apartments, but there was a little corner store, mm-hmm. which was a home in the back was Ann's. And, of course, right. we'd go there and get bubble gum and stuff. But every once in a while, my mother would run out and get something because it was kitty, literally kitty corner from the house. It was a very active kind of neighborhood. So that in the evenings, people would bring their chairs outside, their folding chairs, car chairs, and the parents would sit out there and us kids would run up and down playing Ring Olivia. Are you, you mm. all seem so what, young. Say, do, do, was it playing what? What's Ring Olivia. Ring Olivia. Yeah. Kids would know. hide mm-hmm. and then we would try and find them and I say, see. you're it. That kind of stuff. So kind of a hide and seek variation. Right, right. 
Right. Anybody ever not get found? They're, they're still there on West Division <laughs> Street? A few, probably a few. There's an award out for every well, what, what prompted you to write a memoir? You, you wrote this when you were how old? Well, it was 2006. Okay. I was born in 38. You do the math. Sure. Good. good. We'll let our how listeners do the math. Yes. How old was I? I wrote it because those 10, 13 years on Division Street, I really felt kind of made me who I was in, in terms of liking the diversity of the city, the action of the city. My relatives lived down the block. But also my parents' marriage was very contentious, mm. very mm. unhappy marriage. And um, so many things happened on Division Street, some things not, not very... There's a chapter in there that's very painful to write, but I wrote it. So I felt that that really, that I had to explore it to help me figure out who I was. And, and it was a wonderful experience. And the book has been very popular. It's been used at DePaul in their uh, ethnic Chicago classes. I've spoken to um, classes about it. So it, it, And I did a lot of research. You would, all of you would enjoy uh, do you remember Microfish, I think that mm-hmm. is called? I would mm-hmm. go down to, in order to write the book, I went to the Tribune so that I could get the price of products in that time, baseball scores, weather. Uh-huh. So what I said in the book is what I could get factual information for, I did. But most of it, because it's a memoir, I, I couldn't remember. So there's a, a caveat in the beginning that some of the conversations are made up, but some things that your parents say you'll never forget. For like example, literally, literally yeah. my father said, "If I can't eat, I would rather die." And at 48, he did. Oh. And then the other thing I remember—it's in the book. Do you remember the movie Johnny Belinda? Mm-hmm. You know, a blind woman, Jennifer and, Jones, right? sure, and yeah. she has a baby, and. I said to my mother, how does she have a baby? She's not married. And my mother said, the things they show in in shows nowadays. I remember that from that time. Now I know what she's talking about. Why don't you say the name of the book again so people can... It's called The Division Street Princess. Princess, good. And the picture on the front is of our grocery store. Oh, cool. You don't have it here. I don't have it at this table, no. Right. I have, but uh, she's can, not the type here. Right, you can get it on Amazon, in, in the public libraries carry it too. Oh, great, yeah. great. And on, on brick and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you walked into a room where there was a theater group happening in the, in the commons where you, where you live. Right. Did you get involved in the theater I group? I did, I did. I was actually in a play called... Spoon River Anthology. Oh, Love that, that play. Yeah. What an easy play for What Neophyte. part did you play? Do I was the Millers. The Millers. Ah. And I, I can't remember the words. It's a series of, of, right, of, of vignettes. speeches, yeah. vignettes, poems. Right. poems. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect mm-hmm. for amateurs. Perfect for amateurs. Because you really have to just right. learn just your part. Your part. Your part. Mm-hmm. Monologues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just monologues. But I realized it wasn't for me. I'm not a, I'm not a front of the stage person. I'm a backstage person. I like producing. I like publicizing it, but I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable being. And did you do that kind of thing for the theater group? I, yeah, down there? I, I produced. Yeah, I produced it. It's called the the South Commons Musical Theater, and we did mostly uh, Gilbert and Sullivan, oh. which are great. Gilbert yeah. and Sullivan is best, and lots of parts for everybody. My kids. Oh, we did, we did Carousel. 
And my kids were Mr. Snow's children. Well, a couple oh. of Mr. Right. Snow's children. Oh, awesome. Right. Yeah, and my spouse was Mr. Snow at the time. Is that where they got the theater bug from? Yes, down absolutely. There? I really do believe they yeah. did. And we, but we had a lot of professional singers because people from Hyde Park came. And so we had a very professional uh, director and musicians. It was, it was marvelous. Marvelous. Well, don't sell yourself short. I, I saw you in Transparent. Oh, um, you did. Season three, episode three. I don't know, three. I don't know, three. You were quite good. Was I? You were. Oh, you know you were. <laughs> no, oh, I, look I, at that face. <laughs> no, I Did you yeah. enjoy doing that? Yeah, it was lots of fun. It was lots of fun. The, the, the Transparent set, first of all, it was a very fun set. I, I imagine. It was, it was yeah. a very fun. I mean, you've got these marvelous actors there, and they're all funny. And my kids are as funny as hell. So, I mean, it's, it's just fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Did Jill, when she was developing this project, did she discuss it with you? Did she ask if she could use aspects of your life? Um, you don't know Jill very well, do you? I don't know Jill very well at all. I'd love to know her much better. So I guess the answer would be no. She just audaciously kind of went the ahead way, and Mom. said, hey, Mom, check out this show. You right. might see some familiar right, themes. Yes. Right, right, right. Right. <laughs> You're a big fan of the show. We talked am, about that yeah, earlier. I enjoyed that. What's I've your favorite enjoyed. parts yeah, of the show? Well, what I liked about besides, the show... Besides my part. Besides besides, which was brilliant. What I like about the show is initially it was about his transitioning to her. But the later episodes were less about that. It was sort of like, okay... The person's transitioned. Now, what happens? Like the whole last season, where they go back to Israel right. to try to find roots, really didn't have much to do with the transition. It had right. to do with who are they? And then, of course, it went off with Gabby Hoffman <laughs> joining the Palestinians or whatever she. Did. I mean, it was like this family doing other things. Right. You still had this as the the main center of it, but that wasn't what it was about. How, how did you like Jerry Adler as his father? <laughs> It's great. You know the actor as Jerry the, Adler? Sure. As the grandfather of the kid, yeah. Wasn't he marvelous? Yeah, he it? was. And, I thought he was so marvelous. And he had a deal. Now, they, they still that's why they still kept his surprise at right. noticing his son comes back right. as a daughter. But he was like a what, what, what an electronic salesman on TV or something. He was like, hurry, hurry. Yeah, he was hilarious. I he was great. Yeah, I loved him. He was. But that's what I like about the show, how it's developed. It's not just sort of about the same thing where it exactly. would get stale. And I love this idea of it being like a two-hour movie. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I came to Transparent a little bit late. I'd already read a lot about the show and, and knew many well, things about it. It was groundbreaking. It. it was groundbreaking. Absolutely. That's why, why you read a lot And what a great so, title. I mean, the most perfect title in the world. Yeah. yeah. So but what surprised me most when I watched it, this reveal of the transgender person really was... Almost matter of fact, in a weird kind of way. It was. And as the show goes on, it's really about a family. Exactly. It's really about family mm-hmm. and family relationships, and it could be anybody's family. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be, be any, a little quirky. Yeah, and it could be any kind of a major altering event. And I think it not normalized it, but it made it just sort of one of the things that families have to deal with. Well, also, I think it normalized it because it was an older person. I mean, most most shows that you would see about Correct. a trans person or a gay person, they're young. Mm-hmm. And, and in this case, and yet a lot of people don't transition until they're later. I mean, Correct. I think it's a much right. more common thing than we would think. Right. I mean, you said you experienced it in your life after many years of marriage, right. and, but some people it's just harder for them to do it. I think it's easier for younger people now. Oh, absolutely. Because, now. A whole because of shows like Transparent. Yeah. yeah. That's but. Right. Is it true, Elaine, that you write your journal in Spanish? I do. How did you know that? 
Yes, I write it in Spanish. Because, really? Well, there are three things in life that I've tried to do almost my entire life. One was learning how to swim. One was speaking Spanish beyond the first tense. And the third was to play Rogers and Hart on the piano. And you will be overjoyed to hear, well, I'm overjoyed, you may not be, that I do all of them. Wow. Mediocre, though. Really, with no one in the room, no one can see me, no one can ever hear me. If there's other people in the pool when I'm swimming, I'd rather they don't look at me. <laughs> Spanish, I can, well, I do, I do write my, my journal in Spanish, but I do use a dictionary. But I pretty much can, can speak, you know. It's could... more than asking where the biblioteca is. Right. <laughs> That's usually where but people I, stop. <laughs> yeah, I actually can could do pretty good in Spanish. That's amazing. I would, if, if any of my Lyft drivers are Spanish, they are, you know, poor things are stuck there with me talking in Spanish. <laughs> and I do have a keyboard, and I can play. I, I can play Rodgers and Hart. I learned, one of my teachers taught me how to do seven chords. Are any of you guys musicians? Yeah, a little bit. So with a seven chord, you don't have to learn the, the bass notes that much. Mm. And all I love is Rogers and Hart and jazz and all of that. And I, I have my, every night, I just do 15 minutes or so on my keyboard. It gives me great pleasure. And I'm fucking amazed at myself that I can do this. <laughs> oh, it's great. That I can do well, this. Oh, I'm fucking amazed at you. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. So, I, I love it so much. What's your favorite Rogers and Hart song? Well, one one of them is that was my my husband's uh, and I was. It never entered my mind. Oh, do you know that it song? Never entered my mind. Yeah, I do yeah. know it. Can you sing? You want to sing it for me? <laughs> it never <laughs> entered my mind. It's I do such, know the song. So Johnny Hartman, I have. Oh, so I don't I know if, if any of you are my Facebook friends. At about four o'clock, I'm writing my journal with a glass of wine, and there's some song comes on that it just moves me. So I put it on Facebook and I write find wine time on it and you know a couple of people respond they like it you know i yeah. love it are you still a theater aficionado do you uh, like I, to I go to the theater matinees of course a matinees <laughs> yeah i love theater but i've seen some great stuff i saw gypsy recently oh. at um did you see gypsy i did oh at uh, Faye, was that right? at Porchlight? yes yeah. Yeah. Porchlight. that was mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. um yeah i see I, I i see as many as i possibly can i love theater What's your favorite musical or Well, play? they're all Sondheim. I'm a big, big Sondheim fan. So if it's... You too? Yeah. Yeah. yeah big, no, we love him. You love Sondheim. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All, all Sondheim. How can you yeah. not? All of them. All, all of them. I, I've seen all of them live except Frogs. Do you know? Have you heard of Frogs? That was... I've That's s- the one in the swimming pool. What's the best movie you've seen this year? I hate to tell you this. No, you can tell me. I don't go to movies. Really? I wait until they come on television. I, I do I do go them occasionally. Oh, I saw Can You Ever Forgive Me? Did you know that oh, one? Oh, I saw it. Yeah, with Mary, Mary Lou Heller is the director. Oh. Mm. It's with... Um, Melissa McCarthy. Right, it's a wonderful movie. She's, oh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's What's good about it is um, Melissa McCarthy, it's not funny. It's certainly not a funny right, situation, right. and she's not a funny character. But Melissa McCarthy has so much heart that she's sort of funny in spite of it. I it's, mean, a you're wonderful, sort of, it's a wonderful Yeah, it's movie. terrific. It really now, is terrific. The only reason I see that is when I go to visit my daughter Faith in Boston for Thanksgiving. There's a wonderful little sm- small independent theater there, and we always go oh, to a movie. Oh, and that's, so what that's you why saw. I saw it. Okay, yeah. but nor I'm a TV person. I watch way too much television, and so I actually wait till they, they come. Do you have TV. the whole nine yards, the Netflix, and the 
Well, Amazon. Hulu. Amazon. Amazon. Hulu, Acorn. Acorn. Right. This is a kind of golden age of TV like that. Well, Frank, I have to talk to you about a movie that I just saw. Yes. That you mentioned a few episodes ago, Cold War. Oh, yeah. And you expressed that you enjoyed that movie. I did. It's a Polish movie. It's nominated for an Oscar for Best Director as well as um, Best Foreign Film. And I saw it in Krakow last summer. Wow. So it was fun to see a Polish movie in Poland. And it did have American English subtitles Mm -hmm. on it. It's an amazing film. Yeah, it is. Very harsh at times. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. really unique kind of love story. One that I've never really mm-hmm. seen before. Semi-showbizy, but not really. In a weird kind of yeah. showbiz way. Yeah. She's an actress, singer, dancer, folk mm-hmm. star, and he's a musician and a composer and an arranger. And this all takes place during the Cold War. I, I believe we start the movie in like 1949 or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. It follows their relationship for the next... 15 years, something like that. On and off. And they're on and off, and they meet, and then they get separated for whatever reason. He defects to to the West. She is supposed to follow him, and she doesn't for her own personal particular reasons. She's mm-hmm. an odd odd girl. She is, but great performance by her, too. Terrific performance. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think it's going to get blown out by Roma, because um, Roma's taking all the oxygen tough, out of the foreign... Tough year yeah. to Because he won be... the director one couple of years ago, Best Foreign Film, with Ida. It's shot in black and white, like Roma. Yeah, beautifully shot. It's also shot. up for director, like Roma, but I, th- I think Roma's going to do it. You've taken some improv classes I recently, have. Elaine, I haven't have, you? right. Where did you take them? I took them at Second City... Mm. I've also Perfect. written two pilots. Did you know that? No. No. Well, I How's took, that going? Uh, not well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know they give you notes after you read them? No. Really, right? How dare I they? I mean, what fun is that? How dare you they? Well, at least you get some feedback rather than not hearing <laughs> at all. Whatever. But yeah. But you mean I got to change it? And I spent all this time writing this. Yeah. I took a, a pilot comedy, half-hour comedy pilot writing class at I.O. from Michael McCarthy. Mm. Do you guys know Michael mm-hmm. McCarthy? Mm-hmm. Wonderful guy. Then I.O. I, is Improv Olympic. Improv Olympics. What's, right, yeah, Improv yeah. Olympics. That was called Layover. And then I took a Second City improv class. It was like, uh, I think it's called Humor Doesn't End in Retirement. So we're real kind of old. <laughs> but I realized, well, first of all, I realized, you know, that I don't like being in front. But I also don't like the competition. Like, wait a minute. Are they going to be better than me? You know, uh, if I'm going to be on stage, I want to be the only one there. I really don't want to share the stage. Which is why Spoon River was perfect. Exactly. Because you're on stage by yeah, yourself. Yeah, you have the stage exactly. all to yourself. All to uh-huh. yeah. Right, right. I'm not a team player. I'm absolutely not a team player. Do you, do you have any phobias? You seem to me like a rather fearless person and that you approach your everyday life just openly and, well, out loud and, and whatever it brings you. Do you have any phobias? I do. I'm afraid of being late. Oh. Are you late? Ever late? You're probably never. never. Okay. Never. Were I, you as a child or something? Or I don't know. I'd love to explore that. Why yeah. am I so fucking fixated on time? Because you were early here today, which was great. Oh, no. I was here a half hour early. <laughs> She went and bought donuts. <laughs> she did. Before I know, she came. She did. <laughs> no, I tell people if I'm not there on time, 
Call the police. Because <laughs> they're probably not coming. <laughs> because, no, something has happened to me. Uh-huh. Right. I wonder if a fear of being late has a name. It must. Yeah. By the way, I wish more of my friends were like you. <laughs> as our listeners know, and, and Frank, you know as well, w- uh-huh. what's my phobia? Um, sharks in Lake Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, Elaine. I you do. laugh. I think well, shark fans are buzzing about a sighting of deep blue. Have you read about this? I have not. Widely believed to be one of the largest great white sharks in the world off the Hawaiian coast this week. Wow. Divers spotted the huge shark whose size and markings were said to resemble those of deep blue. This is a shark that was spotted off the coast of South America some years ago, and they managed to tag it, and they've been able oh. to track it. Uh, off of Oahu's North Shore, shark conservationist Ocean Ramsey, isn't that a great name for a conservationist? It is. It Ocean is. Ramsey yeah. told the paper she was leading an expedition to monitor tiger sharks feeding on a nearby whale carcass when the massive shark approached their boat. Deep Blue is estimated to be approximately 20 feet long and 2.3 tons. Holy cow. Discovery's crew pegged her age at more than 50 years. And, and here's the scary part. They think she's pregnant. Oh, poor baby. Oh, that'll be a baby blue. <laughs> there were some photographs of this shark feeding on this dead whale. Not that the shark killed the whale. The whale apparently died mm-hmm. of other causes, whatever. Mm-hmm. They say that scientists in the early 2000s tracked one great white's journey of 12,400 miles from South Africa to Western Australia and back. So they traveled the globe. Oh. And I think they take a quick detour through the Great Lakes mm-hmm. on yeah, their way sure to other do. places. I mean, why go down yeah. to the Panama Canal when you can just swim through? A little dip through? in the Chicago River, I'm yeah. sure. Be careful over at River North. I'm very close. I haven't seen any of I know it seems irrational, <laughs> yeah. Elaine, but we're all afraid of something. That's correct. Well, speaking of irrational, I did find what yeah. uh, fear oh, of being good. late is called allegrophobia, A-L-L-E-G-R-O-phobia. Allegrophobia. And it's kind d- of a pretty des- name. Describe it to me. Okay, it is. It's caused by a previous lateness having having a major consequence in your life. So you mm-hmm. got to do some thinking on that. As a result, the emotion, anxiety, guilt, blame, responsibility, frustration. Oh, now, I like all those. I'm all okay, those things. Okay, I'm those all things those. work. Okay, I'm all those things right. Now places you on the alert to minimize more distress when you need to go somewhere. It may be exacerbated mm-hmm. by OCD tendencies. Oh boy, that's so. Me. It sounds like it's right up your alley. Yeah, right. Sounds that's like true. a perfect yeah. phobia for you to have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And frequently we play a little game on our show with our guests called Chat Pack. And it's really a series of questions designed to kind of elicit a interesting personal response. Wonder if you would be game to play that with do us. Do I have a choice? You do. You can absolutely say no, and I'll you just can, edit that You can out. look at the question and refuse to answer it, or make up something that's not true. Now, these were all chosen at random by mm-hmm. our producer. I have no idea what they are. Is there Shall any we? gain for me if I win? Is there money in the Yes, you win this book. <laughs> I have that fucking oh. book already. <laughs> there could be there could be some money in it. Let's I'll chip let's in. see how it goes first. <laughs> Why don't you pull one of those cards and read that for us? All right. If like the newspaper or milk, you could have anything of your choice delivered to your doorstep every morning, what particular item would you want it to be? That's a great question. Isn't it, though? Of course, I'd have to go down the elevator, go out the lobby. <laughs> no, no, let's there. say it's, a, you know, there's a knock at your door, and right. you open it, it, and there it is. Whatever. There he is, you mean? Every, yeah. 
<laughs> ah, n- now we get down to yeah. the nitty gritty. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking right. alike. There he is. So you're saying it's a man? What a lovely idea that I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to go on Match.com. Right. I don't have to. I don't. There he is, right, right there. And it's every wow. day. It says. Oh, every day. Didn't it say like milk and like the newspaper delivery every day? Yeah, so that'll keep yeah. you busy. <laughs> that would. Wow. Well, I could also end the subscription if, if that's true. The first one or take one of those like vacation holes or something <laughs> like that. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. F- Frank, this is a question that's come up before. I'm not sure that I've ever heard your answer to it. I do like her answer, mm-hmm. but. Um, you would, wouldn't you? I, I would, but I'm in a relationship, so that's not going to happen. Yeah, Dan um, might have something to say. He about might, that. he might. Probably maybe food stuff, like breakfast already cooked, because when you get up, it's always a pain in the neck down, okay, what am I going to eat? And so just have, like, my breakfast delivered. You have such small... Yeah, but I'm thinking, you know, usually if I want anything, I'll order it, you know. But if it's a a regular thing that every day that I don't have to think about, I would say breakfast. Mm. Gary, Mm. what about you? I mean... Yeah. I like the breakfast idea. That's that's a good one. Well, I liked her idea. You like my idea. Are we we thinking too small? Oh, my goodness. So simple. You can, like... Like Frank says, you can get all that stuff. You can. You I can could get call Jenny Craig or something and have my breakfast <laughs> delivered. It'd probably right. be gross, but right. this would be from a top, you know, chef, gourmet. I think it would be nice to have a chauffeured vehicle every morning. Oh, oh that would be nice. To go wherever I'd like to go. Mm-hmm. Store. Yep. Work. So the chauffeur may be the same guy that comes yeah. to my place. <laughs> he could make breakfast for me, stop by your stop place. Stop by your place <laughs> yeah. quickly, and then head over to Wait my place. Well, We're maybe not that quick. No, no. Right. It'll have to be Who, after, after the breakfast. Whose imagination is this? Because you get up well, early. You're just going to have to wait for your fucking ride. That's I'll right. Wait. I'll just That's have right. to wait. till she's done and I've I don't eaten. mind. <laughs> we could hire the same guy. I mean, it really works. Save a lot of money that way. You just be very busy because we don't live all that close to each other. Frank, why don't you pull one for us and read, read, right. a, read a topic? See. Who's the most famous person you ever met? Well, next to Elaine here. I was waiting for, for starters. That yes. Now, actually, met is that? I mean, I've been in the room with a lot of famous people, seeing them on stage. Yeah, or whatever. I don't think that really. But you're counts. saying actually talking to. Yeah, I think so. Cloris Leachman oh, made fun. me eat a potato off her plate once. <laughs> I love her. She was in a play in Chicago called uh, "A Couple of White Chicks Sitting Around Talking." Her co-star it was a two-woman play. Her co-star was the mother of a friend of mine. So he and I went and saw the show, and afterwards we went out to eat with them. And Cloris Leachman likes her baked potatoes burnt on the outside and like pretty much raw on the inside and so we were like well that's interesting so here you have to try it you have to try it i'm like really so she made me take a piece of her potato and eat it nice that's one of the more famous people and one of the more interesting interactions elaine i imagine with your hollywood connections you've met a number of famous people i have i have who's the most famous person in your mind that besides my daughters right of course who are quite famous yeah I love Judith Light. She plays a version. I mean, I'm having air quotes there. Yes, you are. <laughs> a version of me. But she is the most, the sweetest person, talented, and she can sing and dance. And you will, if she doesn't get nominated after this, after the musical, 
the world of oh, the upcoming fair. season yeah. musical yeah. yeah she's version. absolutely marvelous she won a she's, tony for yeah. um other desert cities other which desert i saw cities. her in yeah. and she was if great if you would meet her she would be your favorite person because oh, okay. she's so lovely she's such a lovely person really okay. lovely sincere yeah yeah i would say either mike nichols or steven spielberg oh nice who i've chatted with both at some length mm-hmm. about things. I thought that was pretty famous. That's, I was, yeah, that's I was very <laughs> nervous both times. What was the circumstance? Well, I worked on a play called The Real Thing by Tom Stoppard mm. on Broadway for a while. It was starring Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. I could have also mm-hmm. mentioned them, I mm. suppose. She's nominated this year. She is. I think she's going to win. You think I so? I think it's her yeah. year. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. For the wife. Yeah, she's great in that. And uh, the play was directed by Mike Nichols, so it was a real all-star wow. situation. And you said you worked on the show? I did. I did. Okay. I was a stage manager on the show uh-huh. for a while. And uh, Spielberg, when he was married to... Amy Irving? Amy Irving. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did a play with Amy Irving off-Broadway called The Road to Mecca. It was a uh, Athol Fugard play, also mm. stage-managed that play, and... Spielberg came to opening night oh, wow. and the opening night party. Oh. They didn't last much longer after that as a couple. I'm not sure if the play broke them up or not, but, you know. But at least you got to meet him during that period. Well, if you like what you hear on Booth One and you'd like to support us in bringing you the best and lively conversation about the arts and fascinating guests like my friend Elaine Soloway here, you can go to our website at www.booth-one. That's dash o-n-e dot com click on the donate button it's quick it's easy it's tax deductible under our 501c3 status as a nonprofit entity any and all contributions would be greatly greatly appreciated frank do you have any other questions about transparent for elaine well my question would be when's it going to be on but you already said you're yeah. not sure but sometime this year yeah absolutely actually one other question um i would have not even a question but a comment two of your actresses are chicago actresses you've got alexandra billings correct and you've got amy landecker exactly exactly. daughter of john records right, landecker exactly. who i grew up with and uh, what are they like and have you got to interact yes, with them I have. they're both lovely people they really are the, the show is really a family i mean they talk mm. about it and i know you showbiz people say that all the time but i have to say that the cast of trans Transparent is really a family. It's really a family. Well, Amy Landecker is like my favorite yeah. character on She's TV. Lovely. She's so funny She's and lovely. has a big heart. And of course, I've loved Alexandra Billings for and years. You know, Alex, and they both can sing. So imagine oh, yeah. singing. They're I both have seen Alex's then, yeah. cabaret show yeah. numerous times. She's great. I knew her when she was Shantae yeah. before no. she was Alexandra. You'll, you'll love seeing her in this. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Elaine, we've hyped your books, your memoirs, thank your you, blog thank you, books, thank you. and they're wonderful. I highly recommend them. This She's Not the Type, uh, a novel, is really a great read. Oh, I'm I glad you I enjoyed it thank so, you so much. much. Thank you so Both much. the first half right. and the second half. Right. Elaine, we always end our podcast, and you'll appreciate this, with a segment we call The Kiss of Death. <laughs> Now, don't get worried. I, I, I know you're 80 and all, but uh, not to not to worry. You're you're right. about in as good a shape of any person we've had on our show, including ever. us, including the two of us, <laughs> including a, some 12 year olds oh. that we've had on the oh, really? show before. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a celebration of someone that we've recently lost, mm-hmm. and they're either famous or not. They just contributed something fairly unique to our society, either culturally or. Socially. This is about Francis Grill. Francis Grill, who in 1980 founded the Click Model Agency, a New York agency that gained wide attention for the diversity of its models in a less inclusive era. 
From its inception, Click refused to be limited by any conventional standards of what models should look like. Over the years, it has represented white models like Elle McPherson and model actress Isabella Rossellini and Uma Thurman, black models such as Gail O'Neill and the singer Whitney Houston. I didn't realize she was modeling. I think she was modeling, yeah. Well, she's beautiful, so not surprised. And the transgender model Terry Toy and the male model Attila Von Samogyi. Oh, do not know him. I'm going to have to <laughs> check him out. Miss <laughs> McPherson, that's Elle McPherson, who began working with Miss Grill as a teenager in the early 1980s, said Miss Grill wasn't interested in cookie-cutter talent. It wasn't really about how people looked. She was interested in who they were and what they stood for. It's Something very, that's very yeah. close to your heart. Like. <laughs> yes, very it's also much. very unusual in modeling, not worrying about what they look like, because that's usually the whole thing. Really? In 1982, diversity did not exist in magazines or the fashion industry. It was completely driven by blonde and blue eyes. Of course, Frances, her whole vision was, look at the world, look how diverse it is. We need to represent that. Miss Grill was born Frances Gecker in 1928 mm. in Brooklyn to Fred and Becky Goldstein Gecker. Mm. Her father was a longshoreman and union mm. activist. Her mother, a seamstress. Oh. There you go. Miss Grill studied stenography in high school and on graduating took a job as a secretary. She left the position to check hats at the Village Gate oh. nightclub in Greenwich Village. There she found herself at ease among the club's bohemian clientele. It was a melting pot for poets and artists and musicians and photographers, said Joey Grill, her son, people who were what she always called free thinkers. Miss mm-hmm. Grill became a photographer's agent thanks to a chance meeting and her own, here's a good word, audacity. Oh, <laughs> love that word. Mm-hmm. On an especially stormy night in 1962, standing under an awning to shelter herself from the rain, she began chatting with a man named Albert Rizzo, who was also waiting out the storm. He told her that he was a fashion photographer. She quickly volunteered that. What a coincidence! She was a photographer's agent, although she had never done that type of work before. <laughs> he became her first client. Ms. Grill's move into managing models was also spontaneous. A couple of decades after she had begun representing photographers, one of her clients, Fabrizio Ferri, another great name, name. I'm yeah, change my name to that, uh, came to her office accompanied by. Miss Rossellini, Isabella Rossellini, his girlfriend at the time. She hadn't posed for any professional photographers other than Mr. Ferry. She looked at her, put her finger to her mouth. This is Mrs. Grill. Like she did when she was thinking, Mr. Ferry said. She started looking Isabella up and down, and then she said, Hmm, I think I'm going to open a model agency. It's as simple as that. (laughs) Well, if Isabella Rossellini walks into your office, yeah, it probably is. (laughs) She took Isabella straight to Avedon, and the next day Richard Avedon shot Isabella for the cover of American Vogue. That's how Frances was. She was pure instinct. Mrs. Grill continued to work at the agency on West 27th Street in Chelsea until about six months ago. Wow. Although Mrs. Grill was immersed in the fashion industry, she herself shopped mostly at thrift stores. (laughs) Anthony Barada, a friend and neighbor of Mrs. Grill's for many years, would frequently tag along on these shopping trips. One night I was watching the Academy Awards, and down the red carpet, there walks Frances with Isabella Rossellini, Mr. Barada said. (laughs) She's in this black ensemble, and I know it came from the Riverhead Salvation Army the weekend before, but the way that she carried things off was very, very Fran. Wow. Her impetus wasn't frugality, but a desire to find quirky items that suited her, her son said. Her trademark accessory, a pair of large eyeglasses, which she began wearing in the early 1980s, 
to keep cigarette smoke out of her eyes. Ah. Mm-hmm. Frances Grill, founder of an inclusive modeling agency. She was 90 years old. Oh, wow. Bless her. Wow. God bless her. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Talk uh, about the famous people she knew. <laughs> can you imagine? Boy, name dropping. When you start with Isabella Rosalie. Yeah. Well, thank you, Elaine, for being our guest mm-hmm. today. We so appreciate your candor and good humor. Thank you so much for having me. And for taking the time to visit the booth with us. Visit uh, booth dash one, that's O-N-E, dash O-N-E yes, dot com, Frank, uh-huh. uh, for prior episodes and more information about our program. For Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski. And Frank Taranjo. Saying so long and keep listening. Yeah. Yeah.